That's a praise report. <laughs> Amen. Some of us are going to be saying that when we get to heaven. I made it. <laughs> as long as we get there. Amen. We're going to be enjoying Acts chapter 2, at least the first 22 verses together tonight. But I'm going to show you the whole chapter for continuity's sake. If you don't know what continuity means, that means we're going to get to watch the whole thing. So it makes sense in context. But um, let's uh, just pray, and then um, if I can get ushers to get me some water. Nobody likes a dry preacher, but um, Father, we thank you tonight for acts. We thank you for worship. We thank you for your presence in this place. I thank you for my brothers and sisters here tonight. God, it's so much better when they're here in your house. Father, behold how good and how pleasant it is when brethren dwell together in unity. Father, tonight we unify our hearts to just drink of your word tonight. Holy Spirit, Open up the treasures that are in here and help us to drink them in. And Father, I pray that once you've inserted what you have for us individually tonight into our hearts, Lord, that it would never, ever come out, Lord, that we would keep it in there and we would protect it and we would nourish it. We wouldn't let the fowls of the air steer it away. But Lord, we would savor your word and we would live it. And I ask that in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Let's enjoy Acts chapter 2. If we get the lights down in here and get the volume at the right level. When the day of Pentecost came, they were all together in one place. Suddenly a sound like the blowing of a violent wind came from heaven and filled the whole house where they were sitting. They saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on Egypt. filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit enabled them. Now there were staying in Jerusalem God-fearing Jews from every nation under heaven. When they heard this sound, a crowd came together in bewilderment because each one heard them speaking in his own language. Utterly amazed, they asked, Are not all these men who are speaking Galileans? Then how is it that each of us hears them in his own native language? Parthians, Medes, and Elamites, residents of Mesopotamia, Judea and Cappadocia, Pontus and Asia, Phrygia and Pamphylia, Egypt and the parts of Libya near Cyrene. Visitors from Rome, both Jews and converts to Judaism, Cretans and Arabs. We hear them declaring the wonders of God in our own tongues. Amazed and perplexed, they ask one another, what does this mean? Some, however, made fun of them and said, they have had too much wine. <laughs> 
Then Peter stood up with the eleven, raised his voice, and addressed the crowd. Fellow Jews, and all of you who live in Jerusalem, let me explain this to you. Listen carefully to what I say. These men are not drunk, as you suppose. It's only nine in the morning. No, this is what was spoken by the prophet Joel. In the last days, God says, I will pour out my spirit on all people. Your sons and daughters will prophesy. Your young men will see visions. Your old men will dream dreams. Even on my servants, both men and women, I will pour out my spirit in those days, and they will prophesy. I will show wonders in the heaven above and signs on the earth below. Blood and fire and billows of smoke. The sun will be turned to darkness and the moon to blood before the coming of the great and glorious day of the Lord. And everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Men of Israel, listen to this. Jesus of Nazareth was a man accredited by God to you by miracles, wonders, and signs which God did among you through him as you yourselves know. This man was handed over to you by God's set purpose and foreknowledge. And you, with the help of wicked men, put him to death by nailing him to the cross. But God raised him from the dead, freeing him from the agony of death, because it was impossible for death to keep its hold on him. David said about him, I saw the Lord always before me. Because he is at my right hand, I will not be shaken. Therefore, my heart is glad, and my tongue rejoices. My body also will live in hope, because you will not abandon me to the grave, nor will you let your Holy One see decay. You have made known to me the paths of life. You will fill me with joy in your presence. Brothers, I can tell you confidently that the patriarch David died and was buried, and his tomb is here to this day. But he was a prophet and knew that God had promised him on oath that he would place one of his descendants on his throne. Seeing what was ahead, he spoke of the resurrection of the Christ, that he was not abandoned to the grave, nor did his body see decay. God has raised this Jesus to life, and we are all witnesses of the fact Exalted to the right hand of God, he has received from the Father the promised Holy Spirit and has poured out what you now see and hear. For David did not ascend to heaven, and yet he said, The Lord said to my Lord, Sit at my right hand until I make your enemies a footstool for your feet. Therefore let all Israel be assured of this. God has made this Jesus, whom you crucified, both Lord and Christ. When the people heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the other apostles, Brothers, what shall we do? Peter replied, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins. And you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. The promise is for you and your children and for all who are far off.
for all whom the Lord our God will call. With many other words he warned them, and he pleaded with them, save yourselves from this corrupt generation. Those who accepted his message were baptized, and about 3,000 were added to their number that day. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe, and many wonders and miraculous signs were done by the apostles. All the believers were together and had everything in common. Selling their possessions and goods they gave to anyone as he had need. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. One day, Peter and John... The church is born. Just Julius. I said the church was just born. Amen. Amen. Awesome. The importance of chapter 2 to the contemporary church is just amazing and so profound that it's hard to overlook. What occurs here, the fulfillment of prophecy, the outpouring of the Holy Spirit, uh, the completion to what Jesus died to do is to birth the church and to fill it with his presence and his power. And we see all of that happening here in chapter 2, a very exciting chapter. And uh, I'm going to go through the first 22 verses with you here. It says, when the day of Pentecost had come. Now, this was something that was been talked about and prophesied of, and it was waited for. So here it is. It's the big day. They were all together in one place. And it says, suddenly there came from heaven a noise like a violent rushing wind, and it filled the whole house where they were sitting. So let's just take a look at what's going on here. The contemporary church is being born, the fulfillment of Jesus's uh, prophecy and instruction to them. Uh, Jesus told them, you know, that he was going to fill them with the power and that they had to be obedient and to go to a certain place, and they were. So notice what's going on here. You see, uh, the early church was all together. They were in the right place. Why? Because they were obedient. This is important. We need to be in the right place. How do we get in the right places in life? By being obedient, amen. They listened. Jesus said, don't leave Jerusalem. Go to the upper room. Don't wait. Now notice, if it was before Jesus had died and rose, half of them wouldn't have listened. Peter would have took off. Judas would have stole the money purse. He's not there now. But we know uh, Thomas would have doubted everything that was said. But now we see what? The resurrected Christ has uh, convinced them enough that he keeps his word and he says what he means and he's going to do what he promises. So they listen to him. So now they're in obedience. They follow Jesus' instruction. They're in unity. The, the scripture says what they were in one accord. So they, they had no agenda but to fulfill Jesus' instruction. The description above is the perfect atmosphere for God to move in. When we're obedient and we're in unity, that's where the Holy Spirit flows. Amen? So if you want to move with the Holy Spirit, 
get unified. If you want to move with the Holy Spirit, you know, be obedient to what God's called you to do and be in a church full of people that there's unity. When there's strife in the church, when there's bickering in the church, when there's, you know, power struggles in the church. And listen, I've been around the block several times. I've been in this a long time. I've seen all kinds of things. And those of you who are seasoned saints out there, you've seen a lot of things too. So you know that church life is not always beautiful and harmonious. It's like some marriages, explosive and tumultuous. So there's unity and there's obedience and it's a perfect environment, the perfect atmosphere for the Holy Spirit to move. Any one of those components missing and it will stifle the outpouring of the Holy Spirit. Verse two and three are so powerful. Suddenly, they had their suddenly moment. They had waited, they had anticipated, they had become obedient. It was prophesied for such a long time that the outpouring of the Holy Spirit would come. And when it came, it came suddenly. Suddenly, heaven touched earth in an undeniable way. I don't know about you, but you and I need to pray for some suddenly moments in our lives. Amen. Don't you love it when God shows up? You've been praying, you've been believing, you've been struggling, you've been staying the course. In, in my life, there are things that, you know, I put my nose to the ground, grindstone and pushed ahead for sometimes decades. And all of a sudden, in an instant, boom, God shows up and everything turns around. Amen. Woo, I like those days. Amen. I like those moments. We need to learn to recognize them. We need to learn to savor them. Amen. We need to be thankful for the answers to prayer. But those suddenly moments, they happen for all of us. For the early church, suddenly God shows up. And it's undeniable that it was God. It was a violent, rushing wind. It filled the whole house. Tongues of fire rested on each of them. Now, I would have loved to have the visual on this. Your head's on fire. You know, what did it look like? I don't know. They tried their best with their effects there. I guess it was like a blue hairdo floating. No, I don't know. But whatever it was, it was from God and everybody saw it and it was undeniable and God was moving and, and there, that violent rushing wind, I like that. It was forceful. You see, God's not this little weak, passive, tepid. When God moves in his majesty and his grandeur and his, his boldness, it's forceful, it's powerful, it's overwhelming, amen? I love that. I love when God just shakes me. Um, when, when you feel his presence sometimes and you know it's him and, and just his spirit is, is, is brooding over you and you feel the amazing presence of God, it's undeniable. These guys were moved by what had happened there. When God moves, he moves. Amen? And what happened here was impossible to miss. There wasn't anybody sitting there going, you know, uh, I'm not feeling anything. You know? I've seen people go to revivals and go, ah, I wasn't feeling it. Not in the upper room. They were all feeling it. Amen. It was undisputable. It wasn't manufactured by man. In, in a way, you know, the, the supernatural, when it comes, it overwhelms us. And that's a good thing. We've got to get past, you know, what we're used to and what, you know, is normal to us. The supernatural is something that all of us should you know, be desiring for God to touch us with. So here they are. Everybody's touched. No, John baptized them with water and Jesus was foretold to baptize them with fire and the Holy Spirit. Listen to Matthew 3.11 and Luke 3.16 in the mouth of two witnesses. Here it is. John answered and said to them all, as for me, I will baptize you with water. So John the Baptist, listen, he baptized with water. Why? But there's one coming who will 
who is mightier than I, who am not fit to untie the thong of his sandal, he will baptize you in the Holy Ghost and in fire. Wow. Here's John baptizing with water. What, is, what was John's baptism? For the forgiveness of sins. Okay, so it was water. And what did the water symbolically was cleansing people of sin. Now, he says the, that Jesus' baptism is going to be the Holy Spirit and fire. So here are the tongues of fire fulfilling the, the, the words of John the Baptist. Now, both water and fire cleanse. Do you realize that? Water will clean you up, but fire cleanses too. If you see forest fires, you see whatever fire sits on, whatever it kindles on, it consumes and it eats up everything material there and it cleanses. You know, one of the most productive things that can happen in a forest is that it burns because trees become mature and they get really tall and the underbrush dies and they, they become a big canopy that chokes out the sun so the sun can't touch the ground and nothing grows on the ground so animals don't go anymore. If you know anything about ecology, you realize one of the most purifying things in nature is a fire. So here's the Holy Spirit coming in fire. John baptized him for forgiveness of sins. Now the fire is coming to purge out all the old nature, all the dross, all the old patterns. We need the Holy Ghost. Amen. So both fire and water cleanse. Fire cleanses by consuming what it sits on. It eats up the old nature. It eats up the old passion. It eats up the old material desires. We need to be filled with the Holy Spirit. We need to be touched by the Holy Spirit. Why? To continue to crucify the flesh. What a beautiful thing that's happening here. Two powerful things happen. They're filled with the Holy Spirit. Uh, and then everybody begins to speak in other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. So the first thing is the infilling. And you say, well, you know, all of us Christians, we get saved and we get the Holy Ghost, so no big deal. Very big deal. Because I've said this over and over again as I've taught through the New Testament. In the, in the Old Testament, in the Old Testament, the Holy Spirit didn't indwell people. It just rested on people for a short amount of time to do a specific thing. Now in the New Testament, the Holy Spirit indwells us. Christ in me, the hope of bringing glory to God. Amen? Come on. So here's the, the first thing. They're filled with the Holy Spirit. That's good. Now and the Holy Spirit's not going to just withdraw from them when he's done. We are filled with the Holy Spirit. When we come to Jesus, we all have a measure of the Holy Spirit. So we're filled, and then they begin to speak in other tongues as the Spirit gives them utterance. Now, outside the window... Apparently, these crazy, charismaniac Christians, this is a tired crowd tonight. You didn't even flinch. You're like, <laughs> these crazy, charismatic Christians are up there speaking in tongues and making a big ruckus in there. I don't know if people could see the blue stuff on their head, but, you know, it attracted a crowd, right? So, I mean, it wasn't just, you know, the people in the corner, like, praying to themselves, blah, 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 blah. No, this was an explosion, and it attracted a crowd of unbelievers. I don't know about you, but would you like to have what's going on at Full Gospel Center be so explosive that it attracts a crowd of unbelievers, amen? Amen. We need the Holy Ghost, amen? We need to move with the Holy Spirit. And listen to me, what's going on here attracts them. So it says in verses five through seven, devout Jews from various places with different tongues just happened to be with an earshot of this. What a coincidence. They were amazed and they were hearing the praises of God spoken in all their native tongues and they knew, you know, these were Galileans. 
And they're like, what is going on here? So they're curious. Verses 8 through 11 list off the variety of languages, and they testify. You notice the guys were saying, you know, what languages they were calling them out. The, the scripture actually lists them. So all of this was happening. They're hearing in their native tongues. They're speaking the mighty deeds of God. If you study tongues in the scripture, there's several kinds of tongues there's angelic tongues, there's tongues where you speak in other languages that are unknown to you. There's different ways to use tongue. Paul, Paul uh, dedicates a, a lot of scripture to the implication of how to impart that gift and use it in the body. But here we see a manifestation of it that the people are speaking and, and it, it doesn't say that they're not speaking in angelic languages, but some of them, enough of them were speaking in native tongues of other people that they didn't know that the people outside the window are going to say what? Powerful stuff, a powerful explosion here. And the Holy Spirit is drawing a crowd. And that's, you know, I want you to see some things here, you know, that we all desire to impact others for Christ. We don't want to see anybody lost, but the Holy Spirit's moving here and they, they attract this crowd. And the crowds, what they want to know in verse 12 to sum it up is they want to know what does this mean? You know, and think about that for a second. The release of God's spirit and the release of the miraculous will always grab people's attention outside the kingdom of God. See, miracles and the gifts of the Holy Spirit are not to entertain the sheep. They have an evangelistic implication. And that's why when churches go, oh, well, we don't need that here, or we don't want that here, or let's keep God in this little thing that we're comfortable with, what it does is it kills their evangelistic effort. Because notice, here's the move of the Holy Spirit, and it's flowing, and everybody's in one accord, and they've been obedient, and now there's a crowd, and the crowd's hearing, and the crowd's touched, and the crowd's moved, and they want to know, what does this mean? People can be provoked into wanting answers about God. People can be provoked to want the truth, and they were. What we need in the, whole, in the body is the Holy Spirit, and I'll tell you why. Not to entertain us, not to thrill us, not to give us goosebumps, not so we can all get personal prophetic words. It's quiet now. But so we can reach the lost. Verse 13 displays a sad truth about human nature. No matter how amazing or what God is doing, no matter how beyond explanation what God does, there'll always be those who refuse to believe and to mock. And in verse 13, that's what we got, a mocker here. Everybody's drawn. There's a big crowd. People are, you know, wondering what's going on. And here's the mocker in verse 13. But others were mocking, saying, they are full of sweet wine. So the guy's yelling out, oh, these guys are drunk. And understand, anytime God does something, there's going to be naysayers. There's going to be mockers. The saddest thing is when they're in the church. That's sad. We expect the world not to get it. But when the church doesn't get it, it's sad. There have been sovereign moves of the Holy Spirit that some people in the church said, it's the devil. There's some gifts of the Holy Spirit that have been used by believers according to Scripture, and people say, it's the devil. There's preachers who stand behind the pulpit and say, any of these gifts of the Holy Spirit, they all die with the apostles. What you're doing is the devil. Wow. Mockers outside the church we get, 
mockers inside the church. Much of the Pauline apostles, I mean the Pauline epistles, deal with you know mockery and, and dissension and false doctrine, and it's, it's always going to be there, but it's just a sad part of human nature. God's moving. It's a beautiful thing. Uh, salvation's being poured out. There's about to be 3,000 people saved, and here these guys are mocking. They're all drunk. Now, their conclusion is ridiculous. Why? And it may be funny. I like the way they made the whole crowd laugh. Did you look at that crowd of people out there? Yeah, I thought I saw my dad in it. Were you moonlighting? <laughs> so, you know, the whole crowd laughs, and I get it. It's a little funny, but it's not logical. Why? Because drunk people don't all of a sudden speak in... A, 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 well, they might speak in weird languages, <laughs> but drunk people don't speak in languages that they don't know that other people are hearing and go, that's perfect. Okay, so there again, when you look at what's behind mockery, many times it holds no logical water. It's just, it's just what mockers do. So, you know, it might have been funny, but what's going on here is sovereign. It's of God. There's no way to dispute it. Why? The whole crowd is saying, we're hearing it. And uh, it's what God is doing. So in verse 14, Peter is thrust into his leadership position. Now see this. You know, the Bible says to be instant in and out of season. Peter was just told to go to the upper room and wait. He wasn't told to prepare a sermon. Yet he gets thrust out in front of the crowd and it's time to preach. And Peter preaches his first sermon. This is the first sermon in the New Testament. And he's thrust out into the crowd. And Peter does what good leaders should always try to do. He's helping people who are curious and confused find the truth. This is what we need to do as Christians. There's people who are curious about your love for Jesus. There are people who are confused about your love for Jesus. What we should do is not just, ah, you know, pick a church, leave me alone. No, we should try to lead them to Christ. Amen? Think about the people who, you know, you, you see the looks they give you. They're just a little curious about you why you have a different attitude, why certain things don't come out of your mouth, why you don't laugh at certain jokes, why you're always happy. <laughs> so Peter gets the crowd's attention. He does what a good leader does. He tries to help them where they're confused. Good leaders also seize every opportunity to preach Christ. This was an opportunity. Could you imagine if the people in the upper room locked the door and stayed in there? Don't go out there. 3,000 people are about to get saved but only if the door opens and a good leader goes out and does what good leaders do. And Peter, full of the Holy Ghost, he responds. He gets the crowd's attention. He tells them to listen to his words. That's pretty bold. And Peter's boldness, he's always had that confidence and sometimes too much, and he was always opening his mouth. But this time he does it under the power of the Holy Spirit. Notice the difference here. His response becomes the first sermon preached in the New Testament. Verse 15, the first thing he does is he rebuts the mockers. He says, these people aren't drunk, as you suppose. It's only 9 o'clock. Okay? So he silences the mockery, and then he moves right on to giving them some pretty deep stuff here we're going to talk about in a minute. But I want you to see something. Peter addresses the mockery first. And Christians don't need to defend themselves or justify themselves to the world. Can I get an amen? amen? If you feel like you need to defend yourself and justify yourself all the time, please stop doing that. That's exhausting. If you think you need to get on hour-long debates on Facebook and post and straighten people out, please don't waste your time doing that. I'll just let that settle down a little bit. Because it... 
you know, it's a waste of time in that venue to do that. We don't need to justify ourselves. We don't need to defend ourselves. But listen, but articulating truth and sound doctrine is always worth the effort if we could do it in love. Articulating truth and sound doctrine is always worth the effort if we can do it in love. And that's what we need. And that's what Peter does. He comes out, he silences the mockers. He begins to articulate truth. You know, we as Christians don't argue with fools. The scripture says, if you argue with a fool, you invite a beating. We don't need extra beatings. Anyone? Come on. Anyone know? That's what it says. We don't cast our pearls before swine. Have you ever gotten to a situation where you were just dealing with someone that, I mean, was just a mocker, almost demonic. I've dealt with people where I just, that was it. I'm out, mic drop, game over, I quit. Tapping out. Why? Because we don't cast our pearls before swine. Or we don't contend so aggressively with others that we become contentious. This is important. You contend, but if you can't do it with love, you got to tap out. Why? I'll tell you why. Because if you contend to the point where you get nasty and vitriolic and contentious, they win. You know, when you wrestle a pig in the mud, two things happen. One, you get dirty, and two, the pig has fun. Some people have known pigs. Yeah, that pig's having a good time. So just, you know, realize, Peter addresses them. He silences that down. It's a good thing, but realize the rules of engagement for us here. We don't cast our pearls. We don't contend. We don't become aggressive. We don't argue with fools. There's wisdom that needs to happen. Verse 16, Peter tells the curious crowd, what you're seeing is actually the fulfillment of prophecy. The prophet Joel spoke of these very things. So such an incredible thing here. You know, there again, where did Peter get that? It's the Holy Spirit. Amen. He didn't have time to pray and fast and write sermon notes and study the old. No, he was filled with the word because he knew the word and the Holy Spirit was on him now and he opened his mouth and the Holy Spirit filled it. And what comes out of it, some of it, you know, what he talks about here is almost a little like, where's that coming from? Not Peter. It's what God wants to say to this crowd. So uh, Peter is, he's now realize he's still in the moment. This is all new to him. He's in the upper room. He waited. He got filled with the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit was speaking through him, yet somehow, some way, the leadership anointing that's on him allows him to take charge of the situation and to continue to minister to the people. I want you to see this. Why? Because you know what? Greater is he who's in us. Come on. Greater is he who's in us than he who's in the world. Don't be afraid. Oh, I don't know what to say, or I haven't studied enough, or I, you know, I, I, haven't, I haven't studied systematic theology, or I don't know big words, or I, I can't quote King James. Listen to me. Those are all excuses. If we'll be obedient and in the right place at the right time, if God pushes us out there, he'll fill our mouths. Don't be scared. <laughs> you can do it. You can, you can do it. Now listen to me. You say, do you have confidence in me, Pastor Rick? Yes, but I have more confidence in the Holy Spirit. Amen? Amen. <laughs> and plus, for all these 20-something years, he's used me, so that's amazing. So he can use you too. Understand that. And those of, those of, uh, those of you who know me are going, it's true. It's very true. <laughs> Peter's in the moment, but the Holy Spirit's on him. He shows great discernment. And by the Holy Spirit, he begins to tell the crowd that this was the promised outpouring of the Holy Spirit that was predicted by the prophet Joel. God spoke through Joel that he would pour out a spirit on what? Your sons and your daughters, young and old and bond slaves, that they would prophesy. What does that mean? To speak the word of God. 
What I'm doing right now, preaching to you, that's prophecy. I'm speaking the word of God. There's also the prophetic gift that speaks the rhema word of God, the living current word of God. As long as what the prophet speaks lines up with the logos, the written word, then we're good, amen? But there's all kinds of prophetic gifts that have been given to the New Testament church. Uh, He's functioning there, and he's saying, this is the fulfillment of prophecy. God has wanted to pour his Holy Spirit out on the church for so long, but he couldn't do it until after Jesus remedied the issue of sin. Understand, the Father and Jesus are more excited about doing this than what people are doing right there. I mean, we don't even realize the, the ramifications of what Christ has done for us. All our lives, we're going to be discovering the complete work of the cross. And they're seeing it here. The Holy Spirit's on them. And he says what? They're going to prophesy. They're going to see visions and dream dreams. And all of this stuff is part of the outpouring of the Holy Spirit. When does it happen? It happens in the church age. Why? Because God has given the church gifts and spiritual gifts. And now the gifts are poured out because people are filled with the Holy Spirit. It's a beginning. It started in the upper room, but it was prophesied long ago by the prophets. Verses 19 to 20, Peter uh, includes in his message here, right at the beginning, he speaks about last day's signs and wonders. And this might seem interesting why he included that there, but God wanted them to know some things about what he was doing. It says, And I will grant wonders in the sky above and signs on the earth below. So he's telling them about the return of Christ. Christ has just birthed his church. He commissions the church. They're filled with the Holy Spirit. And now already he's speaking through the church. Hey, I'm coming back. (laughs) It's the beginning and he's talking about the end. Why? Because God wanted to say that. And I will grant wonders in the sky and signs on the earth below, blood and fire and vapor and smoke. The sun will be turned into darkness and the moon into blood before the great and glorious day of the Lord shall come. And it shall be that everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. So... Right, right away, he gets into some eschatological things, talking about signs in the earth. And notice, we've seen a lot of these things already. We, how many people were paying attention to the blood moons that we went through just a little while back? Anybody? Okay, all right, you're out there, good. So, you know, God uses the sun and the moon like his billboard in the sky to get man's attention. And he told him he would do that, and he is doing that. And we've seen some of these things already. There, there are all kinds of signs and wonders in the earth. We see uh, the generations being filled with the Holy Spirit. Uh, the prophetic move in the church is still relevant, is still powerful. And it says all of this is going to happen until or before the great and glorious day of the Lord's return. So uh, it's the church age. It's the beginning. This is the, this is the preset that we're going to be in here. We're going to move in the gifts of the spirit. We're going to have access to the Holy Spirit. He's going to lead us and guide us. God's going to speak to us through signs and wonders. And all these things are going to point to the return of Jesus Christ. Now, verse 21 to me is, I'm going to have to stop here, but this is the most exciting verse of the chapter for me. I love this. It describes God's beautiful, inclusive salvation plan for the church age. The door is wide open. Aren't you glad because you got through it? The door is wide open, and it's not just for Jews, and it's not just for Greeks. It's not for the rich. It's not for the super intelligent. It's for everyone. It says, and it shall be that everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Amen. Amen. 
I like that. Woo! It's not just for a small little group. It's not just for the Gnostics, the really smart people who figured out the secret knowledge. No, it's not just for the clergy. It's not just for one race of people or one uh, nation of people like it was for just the Jews. No, now the door's wide open. It's for everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord. And God says this, and then he begins to prove it when all those people out there that next time when we get together, Peter's going to begin to minister to them. And some of them from all different places are going to just begin to say yes to Jesus. And he's going to save Jews and Greeks and barbarians and Scythians and all kinds of people, Gentiles. I mean, that's a mind blower right there, that Gentiles are included in this and they're getting filled with God's spirit. Wow. So awesome. We're going to have to stop there for this week, but let's bow our heads. Father, I just thank you, Lord, for our study in the book of Acts. Lord, and I, I, I pray that we would be mindful of what happened in the beginning is a template for us to understand. We need unity, and we have to be obedient to your word. And when we do that, we create an atmosphere for you to move. Father, and when you move by the Spirit, Lord God, our evangelistic thrust becomes effective. Because people who see people walking in the Spirit are curious, just like the crowd was curious, and they want to know what this means. They were sure they were seeing a miracle, but they wanted to know what the implications were for them. So Father, help us to walk in the Spirit, to be filled with the Spirit, to be obedient, to be in one accord, to have unity. Why? So that we can reach the lost. Father, I ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.